Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. doodly doo 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 dee doo doo It's cold outside. It's cold outside. So I stay inside. So I'm inside with you. <laughs> it just kept going. Yeah, no, I was I waiting did. for you to stop me. I, I have I have taken a pretty hard and fast policy of I don't stop you once the song begins. <laughs> I'm just always really curious to see where it's going to go. So am I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So welcome, everybody. I hope you're warm somewhere. It's been very chilly, though. I hear like the Midwest is actually getting like a heat wave right now. Is it really? And by heat wave, I mean like, you know, it's in the 50s and 60s sure, uh, in that January. Sounds like a heat wave. Um, but the past couple of days here, it's like barely getting above freezing and so that that ain't my jam um <laughs> i'm just kind of hibernating if i leave the house it's it I means basically covid part two right now for me <laughs> some people are still living in covid part one i don't know what part we're on anymore i, I have no idea it's chapter 847 yeah chapter of the infinity. great book of covid what the fuck's going on <laughs> nobody knows nobody knows nobody knows <laughs> Although we seem to be moving into um, a chapter where everyone's just like, yeah, that's what we're doing. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. I was at Whole Foods the other day, which I don't go to often because I'm poor. But um, I went there because I'm doing Mark Fisher Fitness Snatched again. Um, but it's my gym in New York, which I think I've talked about on the podcast. I'm uh, sure. I think last week. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I've talked. <laughs> See, I don't know what I say on these podcasts. But yeah, I'm doing snatch. So uh, I hit my protein goal every day last week, which I'm pretty proud of. Nicely done. I mean, that's hard to do for someone who loves potatoes and pasta so much. Uh, There should really be protein-infused potatoes. I know that you can get protein pasta. Which we have. I just feel like it'd be really cool if you could get protein-infused French fries. Oh, if anybody knows where I can get protein-infused French fries, I'm down. I kind of need an air fryer. I feel like I need an air fryer in the house now because everybody has one. And I feel like I could make like sweet potato fries in yeah. the air fryer. Would protein fries just be bacon? I think they're just bacon. Is that? <laughs> yes. I think that's it. I, there it is. <laughs> so we solved that. So, But feel, still feel free to message me if you have any protein hacks. But again, I was at Whole Foods, um, which I don't go into, and it's very fancy. Um I don't even remember where this story was going. I don't know. I didn't start it. You did. <laughs> we went on like four tangents on the way through there. Was it something about COVID? Oh, yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> so there were actually a ton of people in Whole Foods wearing masks. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because we're back in a real city now. Well, we're back in a real city and it's all the it's all the hippie liberals with money. <laughs> so I was like, I was sitting there going and I still just had COVID like a little over a month ago. So I'm not particularly worried about it though there is like a nasty cold going around right now in the flu so I should, i've heard that so i should maybe be more per, maybe more cautious but yeah it was interesting to walk into whole foods and be like oh shit was it 2020 again <laughs> like it felt like there were that many people wearing masks. is it last march already yeah it was like it was so interesting that i was like whole foods is its own experience y'all 
Going to Whole Foods, I love Whole Foods. If I could afford to buy all my groceries at Whole Foods, I would. Because, like, the quality is really good. It's just fucking expensive. And the people that shop there are just very interesting. It was, an, it was like a little adventure. I was in there for a good hour and a half because, one, it's laid out super weird. Um, no Whole Foods are created equal. Like, yeah. you know, you walk in. Add it like- to the list of reasons I tend not to shop at Whole Foods. Any grocery store that can keep me inside for an hour and a half <laughs> is not a place I want to be. Well, babe, you know I do that in pretty much every grocery store. Yeah, I store know. Because I, well, also I'm reading every damn label right now. So literally every two seconds I was like, ooh, what's this? How much protein compared to calorie, compared to fiber, compared to blah, blah, blah. I'm one of those people right now. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what's going on with me. What's going on with you, Ken? You've been doing some drag. Yeah, I, I started working on my first drag routine uh, <laughs> last night. Everyone at home's like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> so I'm working on a play right now. It's called The Legend of Georgia McBride. If you happen to find yourself in the uh, South Jersey, Philadelphia, Delaware area um, in February, basically, Um Reach out and let me know, and I'll let you know where you can come see The Legend of Georgia McBride, in which I will be playing an Elvis impersonator turned drag queen. Spoilers. Um, It's going to be a wild ride. He literally got a message last night while we were, like, getting ready for bed that said, this is a duck walk. Watch this. (laughs) And I went, oh, my God, I have to show you the video from RuPaul's Drag Race from last week where the duck walk was, like, the like feature almost the feature of the event and i'm like wow this is a turn in our relationship that i did not expect like (laughs) i fucking love rupaul's drag race and i know you enjoy it when you see it but like i never thought i'd be showing ken rupaul's drag race as uh um research research for my work for your work yeah (laughs) but yeah so ken's ken's deep in drag world i'm deep in protein world and we're cold that's that catches you up on our lives So welcome to Campfire Classics, where we talk about personal bullshit until it's time to get on to less personal bullshit. Well, I mean, they really tune in because they love our personalities. Uh, So Campfire Classics is, in fact, a comedy literature podcast where we take turns reading stories that we pull out of public domain. But before we get around to that, it's time for another installment of everybody's favorite segment, Clown Corner. Welcome to Clown Corner, where I talk about clowns because they are actually shockingly interesting and weirdly important in modern culture. Well, we were talking last night that they're actually drag queens are a form of clown because drag queens um, put on very elaborate makeup to like alter their face. And their job is to entertain and bring joy, usually. I mean, there are very, there are dramatic moments in drag, which is beautiful. But there are also dramatic dramatic moments moments in clowning. As we talked last week with my clown, who was a very, like, melancholy. Um, So I was like, I think drag is just like the, the, like, 21st century popular version of clowning. Certainly drag performance uh, incorporates a lot of clown. It does work it does it really does and i had never actually thought of it that way um so thank you drag queens for keeping the world happy so yeah clowns clowns have permeated clowning has permeated all over culture and this week we're talking about a clown uh who is another example of that clown named doink the clown (laughs) okay doink is one of those words what is it automatopoeia yeah it sounds 
it sounds dirty and silly at the same time. Um, it's like, I'm going to, it's like, doink. And then it's also like, I'm going to doink you. <laughs> um, so there, it's entirely possible that a few of our listeners already know who this is. Doink was the stage name of a performer named Matt Osborne. Doink. Like uh, Ozzy Osborne? Uh, no relation. Okay. American, <laughs> among other things. Okay. Doink was a villain in the World Wrestling Federation in the early 90s. Okay. Oh, no. He became well-known for playing pranks on other wrestlers, doing things like tripping them, dumping buckets of water on their heads, and whacking them with prosthetic arms. Oh, my God. (laughs) Professional wrestling is the weirdest thing that ever happened to the planet. (laughs) I swear to God. Um, His hijinks actually ended up turning him from sort of -of run-of-the-mill heel to a fan favorite. Of course, because he he was unique. Yeah, he became very popular. He ended up wrestling with um, uh, several different, not just the WWF, but also... um, uh, what EWC, WCW, uh, WWE when it yeah. when WWF became yeah. WWE. Um, uh, so he 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 wrestled with a bunch of um, uh, of different companies uh, because the character easily disguises the man wrestling under his name. Uh-huh. Uh, there have also been several wrestlers who have played Doink the Clown over the years. Oh, because he's covered up so much. Yeah. Okay, so he's got white makeup on. Yeah, so he's he got is, the general clown makeup. Yeah, he's he's fully clowned out. Oh my god, that's terrifying. <laughs> um, for a while, the original guy Matt Osborne came back into the role and was working with um, Extreme Wrestling Championship, I believe is okay. what it's called. Uh, but he was tired of his character having become strictly comic relief. So he sort of did half of the makeup and his character ended up developing what fans called a personality disorder where everyone he defeated, he would humiliate them by forcing them into clown costumes. Oh my God, he's like the vampire of clowns. He he kind of turned psychotic. Well, that's like a vampire. It's like, okay, I defeated you. Now you are one of us. Like, oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. it was super, super creepy and weird. Uh, A few years ago, um, there was the the character had a a redo of his image to make him look more like Heath Ledger's Joker. Oh God, no, 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 no. Um, but, uh, he, he's continued to appear for, uh, his first appearance ringside was in 1992. Uh, and he was basically pulling pranks on the, the people who were actually wrestling and on some of the audience members in (laughs) 1993, he made his first, um, televised like fight appearance and his most recent appearance on television was in 2022. Holy shit. So over 30 years and some dozen or so different wrestlers playing him, he's been a hero, he's been the heel, he's been the comic relief. Uh, And that's all Doink the Clown. That is so wacky. Well, we were just watching John Cena. Cena, Somebody posted a picture of the Lord of the Rings crew and said, look, I photoshopped John Cena into this picture and underneath it said, you can't see me. And I said to Ken, I'm like, Am I missing something? Like where where is he? And he goes, No, it's a thing, John it's, Cena. It's like his like calling card when he was a wrestler. Now he's mainly an actor and activist. Um and a really good guy. <laughs> still still a wrestler. Oh, he still does he, wrestle. He still, he still does oh, it. Okay. <clears throat> or still works with them at the yeah, very least. At least training um, or something. Yeah. He also uh 
when last I checked, he was responsible. He's the person who holds the record for the most Make-A-Wish Foundation yeah. wishes granted. Yeah, and he also did that, like, PSA on, like, uh, for, like, homosexuality, like, yeah. accepting of uh, the LGBTQ plus community and whatnot. And, like, so he's just a cool guy. But um, I did not know that his calling card was... You can't, I, like, so fast you can't see me or something. I don't. I still, you can't see me, yeah. Yeah. And so we started watching some wrestling clips, and I was like, this. It's weird stuff. And I grew up in the Hulk Hogan era. Like, this is when it was, like, popular, and I remember seeing clips of it, and it is theater. I mean, it's just theater. It's yep. It's amazing stage combat slash uh, stunts. Plus, people create these characters. Like I think Buster going, Keaton would be impressed. I think uh, Charlie Chaplin would yep. be impressed. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, that's more or less where I'm going to leave Clown Corner okay, uh, this week. I just wanted to give another example of how far-reaching clown Clowndom clowning goes. has affected uh, our culture today. That even in the crazy fucking over-the-top world of professional wrestling... They have decided they need a clown to keep things interesting. I mean, I agree. <laughs> Good job, doink. I mean, stop converting people, more people into clowns because that's a little freaky. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a like little you're giving them clown rabies or something. <laughs> if you, if you, inf- like, if he beats you and then you become infected with clowndom, that's kind of creepy. Like clown rabies. Clown rabies. That's horrifying. That is the stuff of nightmares. You're welcome. Trademark, trademark. Any script writers out there wanna want to create the, the next uh horror film of the century <laughs> called Clown Rabies. I mean, I bet we can get a better title. But is there such thing as a better title than Clown Rabies? I mean, there is a movie coming out this year called Cocaine Shark. So No, it's Cocaine Bear. Oh, that's right. It's a bear. Sorry. It's a bear. I I went to the other crazy Sharknado. Things. Yeah, Sharknado. Um what the most fucked up thing about Cocaine Bear? It's based on actual events. It's based I mean, I'm sure they <laughs> I'm sure in the film they go far beyond what actually happened, but it is based on true events. Yeah. Absolutely bonkers. Amazing. Anyway, don't do drugs. Uh, <laughs> Except weed. Don't give drugs to bears. Don't give drugs to bears, except weed. <laughs> uh, but clowns and killer bears are not what we typically do here at Campfire Classics. Our primary job is to share great stories of yesteryear with you, our adoring fans, which we're going to do in a minute because I have selected a story for Heather to read this week. But before we jump into the story, I'm going to give just a little bit of background information. When I picked the story, I I could have sworn that we had covered this author before, that we'd done a story by her before, but it turns out we have not. It's She has a story that has been recommended to us from several locations, and it's just a little bit long. Oh, okay. So I found another one by her uh, and was just shocked to realize that we had not done anything by her yet, but okay. here we go. We've probably discussed her because she's probably friends of somebody or influenced or something. Hold that yeah. thought. Oh, yep, there it is. Charlotte Perkins Gilman uh, was not, near as I can tell, a member of the family who founded the popular chain diner Perkins. What a shame. No um, no pie for her. No pie for her. No, she was an American author, an advocate for social reform, and a utopian feminist. These all make her sound really awesome, but full disclosure, being born in 1860, she had some... 
Uh, we'll call them odd beliefs around race, which I'll touch on in a bit. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, born in 1860, as I said, in Connecticut, uh, Charlotte was raised in an unconventional household. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like, it was like a cave? Um, uh, sort of. <laughs> a yurt? <laughs> sort of. Uh, her father abandoned the family when she was very young. Oh, and lovely. so Charlotte, along with her mother and brother, lived in poverty and were often taken in by her father's aunts. There were three of them, and the most well-known of these aunts was a woman named Harriet Beecher Stowe. Oh, well, shit. The author of Uncle Tom's Cabin and The Ghost in the Mill, which yeah. we read back in episode 106 of Campfire Classics. Holy crap, yeah. Also, no wonder she doesn't like men and she's a feminist. When, you're, when your father walks out and leaves you in poverty and his aunts come to your rescue. Yeah. You're going to side with the ladies. Um, one of one of the other aunts whose name I did not write down uh, is was a well-known um, suffragist Fuck at yeah. the time as well. Uh, her schooling was very intermittent. She was in and out of a whole bunch of different schools. Uh, her mother actually told her and her brother that they were not allowed to read fiction. At oh, all. because she was trying to school them at home. She was trying to school them at that home. That makes sense. Um, but well, Charlotte- this was before public school was really widespread. Well, it was certainly before it was kind mandatory of, public school. Because it was kind yeah. of intermittent where um, you'd find good public schools. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so she ended up spending a lot of time studying by herself at the library. Uh, and in fact, though absent, her father did continue to be sort of through letters a little bit a part of her life. Um, he helped financially support her on occasion, and he recommended a whole bunch of books that he, novels, fiction, that he loved for her to read. Do we know what happened to dad? Um, I'm sure someone does. Okay. I think he just decided family life wasn't for I'm him. wondering if he, like, liked boys or something and was like, this is not my life, and then went into, like... Hiding and... It's, it's like possible. A I don't know. Hold I'm, that thought. Okay. Oh, <laughs> She was proud to refer to herself as a tomboy. Okay. When she was 19, she met a young woman named Martha Luther, and for the next several years, they pursued a relationship and exchanged many letters. Companionship. A chronicle containing over 50 letters, including correspondence, illustrations, and manuscripts, exists to this day. Their relationship ended when Martha decided to call things off and marry a man. Charlotte was heartbroken. In her autobiography, she wrote, We were closely together, increasingly happy together, for four of those long years of girlhood. She was nearer and dearer than anyone up to that time. This was love. With Martha, I knew perfect happiness. We were not only extremely fond of each other, but we were fun together, deliciously. Oh, Damn. <laughs> uh, she had supported herself as a tutor, a painter, and an artist of trade cards, which were essentially really fancy business cards. Oh, okay. Like you would use them to um, either to say, hi, this is me, come yeah. see me sometime, or come visit my business. Welcome to the circus. Well, okay, so, okay, so they're sort of halfway cards. between a business card and a okay. postcard. Okay. Um, I was like, damn, she had her own baseball card? Cool. So she'd, she'd been supporting herself doing those things when she met Charles Walter Stetson. He proposed. Stetson? Yep. Like the hat? Uh, not Near as I can tell, not the same family, okay. but yes, the same name. Uh, he's an artist. Okay. Uh, he proposed, and she initially turned him down, citing a bad feeling. 
but she eventually accepted. They were married. They had one daughter, but she suffered debilitating postpartum depression. Uh, She and her daughter ended up moving in with a friend of hers, Grace Channing, for a while, leaving her husband at home. The doctor recommended that she, quote, live as domestic a life as possible. Have your child with you all the time. Lie down an hour after each meal. Have about two hours intellectual life a day and never touch pen, brush or pencil as long as you live. Wow, that's some great advice. Um, don't ever get away from the thing giving you depression. Um, stay in the house. Don't go for walks. And don't, absolutely don't have any hobbies. Don't, don't to bring exercise you joy. your artistic muscles. Once again, the uh, medical advice of the 1800s, slaying the game. Yep. So uh, she tried to follow this advice for a few months, but her depression deepened. Everyone's surprised. <laughs> Sounds like he put her into COVID. (laughs) Her remaining sanity was on the line, and she began to display suicidal behavior that included talks of pistols and chloroform. By the early summer, the couple decided that they should divorce so that she could regain her sanity without affecting the lives of her husband and daughter. Shortly thereafter, her husband remarried. To well, Charlotte's he's... friend, Grace Channing, that oh, they were staying with. Oh, my God. He sounds like a shitty human. That's She didn't have postpartum depression. She had depression because her husband sucked. They just called it postpartum depression. Well, no, they actually called it weak nerves because it was... They called the it 18, hysteria. It was the 1880s. Or hysteria yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Fuck that. That guy um, was an asshole. That's why she had a bad feeling. Also, she was probably gay. Uh, so... At 30 years old in uh, 1890, Charlotte decided to take up writing and wrote a semi-autobiographical short in response to her time of enforced rest called The Yellow Wallpaper. It is the work that she is now best known for, and it began a prolific writing career. That's not the one we're reading, though. No, because that's the one that has been recommended, but it's a little long. Because I have it saved in my files of we could read these stories and the reason I never have given it to anyone, give it to you. Um, it's like 7,000, 8,000 yeah, words. It's just exactly. a little long. Yeah. yeah. So she was fiercely feminist in all of her writing work. She was also very pro-animal rights. Okay. Her biggest social faux pas by today's standards was her well-documented belief that while white Americans were absolutely to blame for the enslavement of black Americans who had been horribly mistreated through our nation's history, blacks and whites were essentially alien species from each other who should not be encouraged to mix any more than was absolutely necessary for fear of corrupting one or both bloodlines. Oh, no, 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 no. She also believed that while white America did owe a debt to the descendants of those that had been brought over and downtrodden for centuries, that did not mean that the races were capable of working and or living together as equals. Okay. So, so she's a like, complicated lady. So she's like the lady who's like, I'm not a racist. I have a black friend. Kind of. Kind of. today's standards. And it also, yeah. like, weirdly, there, there's, there's a, there is a bit of, like, conflict in her because it sounds like, to a large extent, she was in favor of essentially reparations, Yes. She just well, thought that also the science of the time, which, as we've discovered, was not good, um, yeah. was putting literally publishing things that were saying things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's those those are her sort of generally social beliefs. Um, after her divorce, she had another lengthy relationship with a woman named Adeline Knapp. 
and after that relationship ended, she married her cousin, Houghton Gilman. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, that just took a turn. I mean, it was 1900. Her first cousin? Yep. Ew. No. Um, Go back to the gay. <laughs> they were happily Jeez. married. Maybe he was gay. They were happily married from 1900 until 1934 when he died suddenly of a heart attack. Maybe they were beards for each other. Um, Charlotte, uh, by 1934, had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Aww. And not long after her husband's death, she overdosed on chloroform. A lifelong proponent and supporter of euthanasia, she had decided to end her life on her own terms rather than let the cancer do it. Okay. She was 75. Okay. I like to think that she married her cousin because the cousin and her figured out that they were gay in a time that that was quite literally illegal in many places or deeply frowned upon. Um and they just, because they didn't have any kids. They did not, know. She only had the one kid by her first husband. I, I like, in, in my brain... Cousin was gay, she was gay, and they're like, you know what, let's share the expenses and get the tax breaks and uh, and help support each other through life. <laughs> Whether that is true or not, it does, based on her writings in her autobiography, sound like the years that she spent with married to her cousin were amongst her happiest and um, simplest and most content. Um, she seemed to be getting everything that she, like, everything that she needed. Yeah. And um, based on the way she wrote about him, she did genuinely love him. Oh, now, yeah. whether she was physically passionate about him or not, who knows? Yeah. But no, I have I I like I'm in my brain. I'm going to think that they were just like bestest of bestest friends. Great. <laughs> it's like sassy gay friends. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, today you'll be reading a short story that was first published in Worthington's Illustrated in 1893 called The Rocking Chair. Ooh, creepy. Let's start this fire. All right. The Rocking Chair by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. A waving spot of sunshine, a single light that caught the eye at once in a waste of commonplace houses and all the dreary dimness of a narrow city street. Across some low roof that made a gap in the wall of masonry shot a level, brilliant beam of the just-setting sun, touching the golden head of a girl in an open window. Okay, we're setting a very pretty picture. This is lovely. She sat in a high-backed rocking chair. Ooh, title of the story. <laughs> she sat in a high-backed rocking chair with brass mountings that glittered as it swung, rocking slowly back and forth, never lifting her head, but fairly lighting up the street with the glory of her sunlit hair. This feels like a fucking Sondheim song. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sweetly buried yeah. in her yellow hair. Yep. Uh, we two stopped and stared, and so staring, caught sight of a small sign in a lower window. Furnished lodgings. With a common impulse, we crossed the street and knocked at the dingy front door. Slow, even footsteps approached from within, and a soft girlish laugh ceased suddenly as the door... Ooh. <laughs> and a soft girlish laugh ceased suddenly as the door opened showing us an old woman with a dull, expressionless face and faded eyes. Yes, she had rooms to let. Yes, we could see them. 
no, there was no service. No, there were no meals. <laughs> it's like, this is not a bed and breakfast, bitch. <laughs> this is, here's your room, now this is fuck a room. off. <laughs> yeah. Well, and honestly, this sounds like my ideal uh, lodging arrangement. Yes. Yes, there is a bed. Yes, there is a door. Yes, there is a toilet. No, everything else, fuck off. Please leave everyone else alone. Do not gather in the common areas. You suck. Um, so no meals. So murmuring monotonously. Uh, I did not mention this, but she wrote a lot of poetry. It, clearly, <laughs> clearly. That's why it sounds like a Sondheim song. So murmuring monotonously, she led the way upstairs. It was an ordinary house enough, on a poor sort of street, a house in no way remarkable or unlike its fellows. She showed us two rooms, connected, neither better nor worse than most of neither better nor worse than most of their class. Rooms without a striking feature about them, unless it was the great brass bound chair we found still rocking gently by the window. That the girl had just vacated. I have a I when have a she theory. stopped giggling. Yeah, there's something creepy going on in this house. I've got a theory. It could be demons. That uh, I've got a theory. We can work this out. It's a Buffy that, musical. I was gonna say, is that Buffy? Yeah. <laughs> but the golden-haired girl was nowhere to be seen. I fancied I'd heard the light rustle of girlish robes in the inner chamber, a breath of that low laugh. But the door leading to this apartment was locked. And when I asked the woman if we could see the other room, she said she had no other rooms to let. A few words aside with Hal, and we decided to take these two and move in at once. There was no reason we should not. We were looking for lodgings when that swinging sunbeam caught our eyes, and the accommodations were fully as good as we could pay for. Great. <laughs> Great. Super convenient, and I'm sure nothing bad will happen as a result I'm of sure this convenience. I'm sure nothing well bad will happen that you were like, like lassoed in by this golden hair and like definitely not a sun siren yeah there's nothing nothing creepy going on in this place so we closed our bargain on the spot returned to our deserted boarding house for a few belongings and were settled anew that night hal and i were young newspaper men penny aligners part of that struggling crowd of aspirants who are to literature what squires and pages were to knighthood in olden <laughs> days ah lovely <laughs> we were winning our spurs <laughs> earning our uh earning our stripes you got know. to pay your dues yep. if you want to sing the blues because you know it don't come easy unless you have a parent in the business then you love nepotism yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that verse. Um, it's a, it's a, like, you get it on the special features DVD. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So far it was slow work, unpleasant and ill-paid. So was squireship and pagehood, I am sure. <laughs> Menial service and laborious polishing of armor, long running afoot while the master rode. But the squire could at least honor his lord and leader, while we, alas, had small honor for those above us in our profession, with but too good reason. The squire admired the knight. Yeah, we, we hated did not our admire boss. the editor in chief. Well, wow, this sounds like actors. <laughs> it sounds like let's let's be real. It sounds like most entry, entry labor positions like when you're trying to break into an industry that you have yep. no connection to. Yep. 
We, of course, should do far nobler things when these same spurs were won. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the mentality that is, when I'm a parent, I am never going to talk to my kids yeah. that way. I'm I'm never going to punish my child. I, I'm never going to, like, I'm never going to say a mean thing. Yeah. It'll be chocolate cake for breakfast and no bedtime. Uh, yeah. Now, it may have been merely literary instinct, the grasping at material of the pot-boiling writers of the day, and it may have been another kind of instinct, the unacknowledged attraction of the fair unknown. But, whatever the reason, the place had drawn us both, and here we were. Oh, no. (laughs) Unbroken friendship begun in babyhood held us two together. Oh, they're like lifelong friends. We're the two best friends Friends that anyone anyone could could have. And we write good stories. That is what we said. Uh, So they've been friends since they were babies. All the more closely. But there are really cute pictures of the two of them, like in the sandbox, in matching little onesies. They didn't have cameras back then that were super easy. And they're kind of poor. They have like weird sketches their parents made where they like stick figures like... What did I? Yeah, I wonder if like creepy, parents, discur- disturbing baby sketches. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, don't you remember this one? What the fuck is that? <laughs> That's you riding a horse. What? It looks like Why a does demon it look like eating a fox a fox eating a spider. <laughs> Mom wasn't the most artistic. <laughs> Unbroken friendship begun in babyhood held us two together all the more closely because Hal was a merry, prosaic clear-headed fellow, and I sensitive and romantic. Uh-oh. Oh, no. They're odd couple Well, they're gonna they'll balance each other well. Yeah. The fearless frankness of family life we shared, but held the right to unapproachable reserves and so kept love unrestrained. We examined our new quarters with interest. The front room, Hal's, was rather big and bare. The back room, mine, rather small and bare. He preferred that room, I am convinced, because of the window and the chair. I preferred the other because of the locked door. Hell yeah, (laughs) I am on your side, dude. I mean, this sounds right. I would take the room that Hal took, and you would take the room that our narrator took. Yeah. Why? Because the door locks. And I would take the room with the sunlight and, like, (laughs) the, the, the swing. Basically, it's a rocking chair. We neither of us mentioned these prejudices. Are you sure you would not rather have this room, asked Hal, conscious, perhaps, of an ulterior motive in his choice. No, indeed, I said I. I said I. No, indeed, said I, with a similar reservation. You only have the street, and I have the real view from my window. The only thing I begrudge you is the chair. You may come and rock therein at any hour of the day or night, said he magnanimously. <laughs> it is tremendously comfortable for all its black looks. Hmm. So it's not a pretty chair, but it's but very it's comfortable. But it's super comfy. Okay. All right, I mean, I, I prefer comfort over uh, appearance. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, like, absolutely. Although I do find myself questioning what kind of people find great excitement in, I'm going to sit. It is the 1800s. There's nothing else to do. They're writers. That's they where better they, find other stuff to well, do. that's where he writes. He probably yeah. has like a, a lap like a lap desk and he can sit in the chair and think. And I can bear. I mean, I know that other people have better <laughs> handwriting than I do. What? But I can barely <laughs> write a short postcard in a like 
hardback chair with good posture at a desk. I cannot imagine trying to write on my lap in a rocking chair. You would have had a really hard time in this time, babe. <laughs> Ken, Ken's uh, handwriting is um, not equal to his intellect. Let's just say that. <laughs> my handwriting is to actual letters what Jackson Pollock is to art with lines. Yes, I would agree with that. That's 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 a very good comparison, right? Because there. the intent and what is going on on the paper is generally quite good. It's just that most people may not be able to recognize that intent. Sometimes it gets lost in translation. Yeah. Whereas my spelling is like that. So just majored in creative <laughs> spelling. Yes, I did. Definitely. Oh, I think I've talked about this on the podcast, but I definitely. Definitely, as a child, we were punished after spelling tests. If we every every word we missed, we had to write a hundred times while recess was going on. So I spent a lot of my recess in like second and third grade rewriting fucking words because I did not spell them right. And guess what? I still suck at spelling. So that was not the method. <laughs> this is why our generation is fucked up. <laughs> Yeah. I have trauma. I have trauma, like serious trauma. I mean, it's basically what Bart Simpson's doing in the beginning of the Simpsons cartoon every time. Yes, is but at least that is usually was... for bad behavior. We don't know what he did. What was bad behavior? He's usually I... writing out the thing that he has done wrong on the board. Yeah, that's true. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's the same thing, but because I'm not... And now who fucking doesn't matter? We all have spell check and computers anyway. It doesn't fucking matter. Kids don't even know how to tell time anymore. Anyway, back to the story. Your kids these days is showing. Oh, honey, I know. My kids these days is, has been showing since cell phones started. And I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> I've always, It's funny. My friend in high school, Mike Langley, I'll say his name, told me at a party, and I'll never forget this. I don't know why, Heather, but I, your soul, your spirit gives me like a middle-aged, like, wise woman. That's when I was, like, 15. So I guess I'm just coming into my own now. <laughs> I'm finally aging into my spirit. So, and that spirit is kids these days. So there we go. Well, maybe you don't get these. I don't know. I get a lot of bots messaging me or, or like, scammers messaging me on, like, Instagram or whatever. Oh, like with um, bots and with, stuff? With profiles that are young women... Maybe there is actually a young woman attached to it. Maybe there isn't. Probably not. <laughs> Can never tell. Um, so this one messaged me. Uh, I was like, I, I responded. Uh, the message was something like, hey, do I know you? And my response was like, I don't think so. Should I know you? She said, I like older guys. Are you single? <laughs> and what's that your one, job? That one kind of hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Babe, we are solidly into the middle-aged category I'm of getting the world. spammed by people who think I'm going to appreciate a young woman who likes older guys. Darling, they called me mom on my last contract over and over and over again. Not because I was playing a mother. I was going to say, though, in fairness, <laughs> not, you were playing nope, mom. That's not why. <laughs> that's not why. I often had... Two of the girls, Taylor and Brooke, saying, you remind us of our moms. <laughs> like, oh, God. Oh, no, it's happened. Anyway, back to this very comfortable chair. It was a comfortable chair, a very comfortable chair, and we both used it a great deal. A very high back chair curving a little forward at the top 
with heavy square corners. These corners, the ends of the rockers, the great sharp knobs that tipped the arms, and every other point and angle were mounted in brass. Might be used for a battling ram, said Hal. <laughs> he sat smoking in it, rocking slowly and complacently by the window, while I lounged on the foot of the bed and watched a pale young moon sink slowly over the western housetops. It went out of sight at last, and the room grew darker and darker till I could only see Hal's handsome head and the curving chair back move slowly to and fro against the dim sky. What brought us here so suddenly, Maurice? Oh, we finally have his name. What brought us here so suddenly, Maurice? He asked out of the dark. Three reasons, I answered. Our need of lodgings, the suitability of these, and a beautiful head. (laughs) Ew! Ew! (laughs) Hot. You know, the cute blonde the that cute, we haven't seen. That we haven't seen since. Um, and only heard in uh, the distance. She's definitely not a ghost. Uh, yeah. Right? <laughs> Correct, said he. Anything else? Uh, nothing you would admit the existence of, my sternly logical friend. But I'm conscious of a certain compulsion, or at least attraction in this case, which does not seem wholly accounted for, even by golden hair. (laughs) How much is that hot blonde in the window? (laughs) Woof, woof. (laughs) It's like Amsterdam. Uh, (laughs) For once, I will agree with you, said Hal. I feel the same way myself, and I am not impressionable. We were silent for a little. I may have closed my eyes. It may have been longer than I thought. But it did not seem another moment when something brushed softly against my arm and Hal in his great chair was rocking beside me. Excuse me, said he, seeing me start. This chair evidently walks. (laughs) I've seen him before, so had I, on carpets, but there was no carpet here and I thought I was awake. He pulled the heavy thing back to the window again, and we went to bed. Ew, creepy! <laughs> Although, like, I've seen that happen with chairs. Well, yeah, because, like, You, you rock, and if the rock is just a little off-center, off, it... Yeah. It's like... It wiggles. Our door was open, and we could talk back and forth, but presently I dropped off and slept heavily until morning. But I must have dreamed most vividly, for he accused me of rocking in his chair half the night, said he could see my outline clearly against the starlight. No, said I, you dreamed it. You've got rocking chair on the brain. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's a hell of a chair. That chair is so comfortable. Yeah, it's haunted as fuck. (laughs) Dream it is then, he answered cheerily. Better a nightmare than a contradiction, a vampire than a quarrel. Come on, let's go to breakfast. I like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fine. You're right. Where are the eggs? Sure. What's up? Let's eat. We wondered greatly as the days went by that we saw nothing of our golden-haired charmer. But we wondered in silence, and neither mentioned it to another. Sometimes I heard her light movements in the room next mine, or the soft laugh somewhere in the house. But the mother's slow, even steps were more frequent, and even she was not often visible. 
All either of us saw of the girl, to my knowledge, was from the street, for she still availed herself of our chair by the window. This we disapproved of, on principle. The more so as we left the doors locked and her presence proved the possession of another key. No, there was the door in my room, but I did not mention the idea. Under the circumstances, however, we made no complaint and used to rush stealthily and swiftly upstairs, hoping to surprise her. In the shower. (laughs) I mean. In the rocking chair. But we never succeeded. Only the chair was often found still rocking, and sometimes I fancied a faint, sweet odor lingering about, an odor strangely saddening and suggestive. It's my favorite kind of odor. (laughs) Sexy and sad. But one day, when I thought Hal was there, I rushed in unceremoniously and caught her. Uh Uh-oh. It was but a glimpse, a swift, light, noiseless sweep. She vanished into my own room. Oh, no. Oh, damn. I saw her, and then she went into my room. Ooh, this is going to progress swiftly. Following her with apologies for such a sudden entrance, I was too late. The envious door was locked again. Our landlady's fair daughter was evidently shy enough when brought to bay, but strangely willing to take liberties in our absence. Still, I had seen her, and for that sight would have given much. Hers was a strange beauty, infinitely attractive yet infinitely perplexing. I marveled in secret and longed with painful eagerness for another meeting, but I said nothing to Hal of my surprising her. It did not seem fair to the girl. She might have had some good reason for going there. Perhaps I could meet her again. So I took to coming home early on one excuse or another and inventing all manner of errands to get to the room when Hal was not in it. Okay, he's stalking her now. (laughs) Now he's being creepy. He's he's unsuccessfully stalking her. He's trying to meet her again. Yeah, that's, that's... Like, maybe leave a note on the door, under the door, and be like, I'd love to actually meet you. Please join us for cigarettes and and rocking chairs. (laughs) But it was not until numberless surprises on that point, finding him there when I supposed him downtown, and noticing something a little forced in his needless explanations, that I began to wonder if he might be on the same quest. Yeah. Oh, no. Soon, I was sure of it. I reached the corner of the street one evening just at sunset, and yes, there was the rhythmic swing of that bright head in the dark frame of the open window. There also was Howl in the street below. She looked out. She smiled. He let himself in and went upstairs. I quickened my pace. I was in time to see the movement stopped, the fair head turn, and Howl standing beyond her in the shadow. I passed the door, passed the street, walked an hour, two hours, got a late supper somewhere, and came back about bedtime with a sharp and bitter feeling in my heart that I strove in vain to reason down. Why he had not as good a right to meet her as I, it were hard to say. And yet, I was strangely angry with him. When I Dude, you're jealous. Yeah, he's jealous because she's letting him see her, but it's just because it's his rocking chair. Come on, babe. I figured this out. Like, she's she she's she's not a gold digger. She's a rocking chair digger. And like, <laughs> you took her rocking chair, so she's gonna she's gonna flirt with the guy with the rocking chair. You best go buy a rocking chair, baby, and it better be comfortable. 
When I returned, the lamplight shone behind the white curtain, and the shadow of the great chair stood motionless against it. Another shadow crossed Howl smoking. I went up. He greeted me effusively and asked why I was so late. Where I got supper, was unnaturally cheerful. There was a sudden dreadful sense of concealment between us. But he told nothing, and I asked nothing, and we went silently to bed. I've seen enough uh, reality shows that this is not good. Just talk to each other. Just ask the question, because now it's just going to fester. I blamed him for saying no word about our fair mystery, and yet I had said none concerning my own meeting. I racked my brain with questions as to how much he had really seen of her, If she had talked to him, what she had told him, how long she had stayed. I tossed all night, and Hal was sleepless too, for I heard him rocking for hours by the window, by the bed, close to my door. I never knew a rocking chair to walk, as that one did. (laughs) Toward morning, the steady creak and swing was too much for my nerves to temper. For goodness sake, Hal, do stop that and go to bed. What? came a sleepy voice. Don't fool, I said. I haven't slept a wink tonight for your everlasting rocking. Now do leave off and go to bed. Go to bed? I've been in bed all night, and I wish you had. Can't you use the chair without blaming me for it? And all the time I heard him rock, rock, rock over by the hall door. I rose stealthily and entered the room, meaning to surprise the ill-timed joker and convict him in the act. Both rooms were full of dim phosphorescence of reflecting moonlight. I knew them even in the dark, and yet I stumbled just inside the door and fell heavily. Hal was out of bed in a moment and had struck on a light. Are you hurt, my dear boy? I was hurt, and solely by his fault, for the chair was not where I supposed, but close to my bedroom door, where he must have left it to leap into bed when he heard me coming. So it was in no amiable humor that I refused his offers of assistance and limped back to my own sleepless pillow. I had struck my ankle on one of those brass-tipped rockers, and it pained me severely. I never saw a chair so made to hurt as that one. Ew! (laughs) It's like a torture device. Well, mental and physical now. Because <laughs> this chair is like destroying their like yep. lifelong friendship. Ruining their friendship. Over a girl who sits in it. And it actually also is like painful. <laughs> this is not a good chair. It is, this, is, this is not good. Burn it. It's burn possessed. It. No, you burn can't it. burn it. You can't burn it. Then the Always demon. burn it. No. <laughs> you got to like, you got to like exercise it. You got to like. Exercise the demons. <laughs> or just put Work it... Work out with the chair. It was so large and heavy and ill-balanced and every joint and corner so shod with brass. Hal and I had punished ourselves enough on it before. Ooh. <laughs> Kinky. Wow. <laughs> well. Especially in the dark when we forgot where the thing was standing, but never so... Okay, so we'd run into it a lot. They punished themselves in the dark. <laughs> That's hot. <laughs> That's why they're such good friends. (laughs) But never so as severely as this. It was not like Hal to play such tricks, and both heart and ankle ached as I crept into bed again to toss and doze and dream and fitfully start till morning. Hal was kindness itself, but he would insist that he had been asleep and I rocking all night till I grew actually angry with him. 
That's carrying a joke too far, I said at last. I don't mind a joke, even when it hurts, but there are limits. Yes, there are, said he significantly, and we dropped the subject. Several days passed. Hal had repeated meetings with the golden-haired damsel. This I saw from the street, but save for these bitter glimpses, I waited vainly. It was hard to bear, harder almost than the growing estrangement between Hal and me, and that cut deeply. I think that at last either one of us would have been glad to go away by himself, but neither was willing to leave the other one the room, the chair, the beautiful unknown. Coming home one morning unexpectedly, I found the dull-faced landlady arranging the rooms and quite laid myself out to make an impression upon her. To no purpose. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to be nice to this girl's supposed mother so that I can get access to supposed girl. This it isn't creepy at work. all. Oh, that is a fine old chair you have there, said I, as, he stood, as she stood mechanically polishing the brass corners with her apron. She looked at the darkly glittering thing with almost a flash of pride. Yes, she said, a fine chair. It is old, I pursued. Very old, she answered briefly. But I thought rocking chairs were a modern American invention, said I. <laughs> Fucking Americans. She looked at me apathetically. It is Spanish, said she. Spanish oak, Spanish leather, Spanish brass, Spanish. I did not catch the last word, and she left the room without another. Oh, so she said Spanish. Spanish dot dot dot. Spanish ghost. <laughs> Spanish <laughs> demon. Spanish Satan. <laughs> Though American inventor Benjamin Franklin is sometimes credited with inventing the rocking chair, historians actually trace the rocking chair's origins to North America during the early 18th century when Franklin was a child. So that is apparently true. So it technically started started in America and it wasn't until 1725 that rocking chairs first appeared in Europe. Huh. Interesting. Huh. And the word rocking chair first entered the dictionary in 1787. Okay. It was a strange, ill-balanced thing, that chair, though so easy and comfortable to sit in. The rockers were long and sharp behind, always lying in wait for the unwary, but cut short in front, and the back was so high and so heavy on top that what with the weight and shortness of the front rockers, it tipped forward with ease and a violence equally astonishing. Oh, damn. <laughs> this, this chair has some history. It, it likes to tip accidentally. Accidentally. Yeah, it sounds like a fucking messed up hammock, but it's not supposed <laughs> to. Um, it sounds like a... a um, it sounds like uh, what's a, a liability. <laughs> in a house that you're letting out to people. Yep. Unless that's what it's trying to do. It's the chair trying to kill people and keep them there forever. Yes, and the blonde is its first victim I, who is now attached to it. It's the, it's the siren, yeah. This I knew from experience, as it had plunged over upon me during some of our frequent encounters. Hal was also a sufferer, but in spite of our manifold bruises, neither of us would have had the chair removed, 
For did not she sit in it, evening after evening, and rock there in the golden light of the setting sun? So evening after evening, we two fled from our work as early as possible and hurried home alone by separate ways to the dingy street and the glorified window. I could not endure forever. When Hal came home first, I lingered in the street below, could see through the window that lovely head and his in close proximity. When I came first, it was to catch perhaps a quick glance from above a bewildering smile, no more. She was always gone when I reached the room, and the inner door of my chamber irrevocably locked. At times, I even caught the click of the latch, heard the flutter of loose robes on the other side, and sometimes this daily disappointment, this constant agony of hope deferred, would bring me to my knees by that door, begging her to open to me, crying to her in every term of passion, endearment, and persuasion that tormented heart of man could think to use. <laughs> oh my God, you're, you need to get out of the house, bro. <laughs> Just... Leave. It's not worth it's it. It's not good. There's a reason you're getting a good deal on the rooms. Yeah, it's not good, bra. <laughs> Hal had neither word nor look for me now, save those of studied politeness and cold indifference. And how could I behave otherwise to him, so proven to my face a liar? So, I can't. I don't trust not my buddy a, anymore. I'm not a good actor. I can't pretend. Yeah. I saw him from the street one night in the broad level sunlight, sitting in that chair with the beautiful head on his shoulder. It was more than I could bear. If he had won, and won so utterly, I would ask but to speak to her once and say farewell to both forever. Wow, this escalated quickly, sir. So I heavily climbed the stairs, knocked loudly, and entered at Hal's come in, only to find him sitting there alone. See, I don't think he sees her. No, absolutely not. I, Because he's he, his brain isn't of the mystical. So, like, every time he sees Hal sitting in the chair with, like, her standing next to him or leaning on him, he Hal doesn't, doesn't know feel she's it. There, yeah. yeah. So he's like, why are you so mad at me? What is your fucking deal, bro? Like, well, I, and I'm guessing Hal seems, sees similar things yes. through the window. Yes. Like... He sees um, every time uh, Maurice comes home first, he sees Maurice come in and then she leads Maurice to his bedroom. So I heavily climbed the stairs, knocked loudly and entered at Hal's come in, only to find him sitting there alone, smoking, yes, smoking in the chair, which but a moment since had held her too. He had but just lit the cigar, a paltry device to blind my eyes. Look here, Hal, said I. I can't stand this any longer. May I ask you one thing? Let me see her once, just once, that I may say goodbye, and then neither of you need see me again. I've made him very melodramatic because he is acting. Because so. he's acting like a child. Yes. Hal rose to his feet and looked me straight in the eye. Then he threw that whole cigar out the window and walked within two feet of me. Are you crazy, said he. I ask her. I, I have never had speech with her in my life, and you. He stopped and turned away. And I what? I would have it out now, whatever came. And you have seen her day after day. Talked with her, I need not repent all that my eyes have seen. 
You need not, indeed, said I. I would not tax even your invention. I have never seen her in this room but once, and then, for a fleeting glimpse, no word from the street, I have seen her often with you. He turned very white and walked from me to the window, and then turned again. I have never seen her in this room for even such a moment as you own to. From the street, I have seen her often with you. We looked at each other. Do you mean to say, I inquired slowly, that I did not see you just now sitting in that chair by that window with her in your arms? Stop, cried he, throwing his hands in a fierce gesture. It struck sharply on the corner of the chair back. He wiped the blood mechanically from the three-cornered cut, looking fixedly at me. I saw you, said I. You did not, said he. I turned slowly on my heel and went into my room. I could not bear to tell that man, my more than brother, that he lied. I sat down on my bed with my head in my hands, and presently I heard Howell's door open and shut. His step on the stair, the front door slammed behind him. He had gone. I knew not where. And if he went to his death... Wow. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. That got intense. I don't think you heard him that much, buddy. <laughs> I knew not where. And if he went to his death and a word of mine would have stopped him, I would not have said it. Oh, my God. Oh, this Boys woman. are stupid. Boys are so dumb. You have literally never met this woman. Ever. She doesn't even exist. She's not real, dude. She's a fucking ghost, man. <laughs> like, I'm sticking with Sunshine Siren. Well, yeah. But. Like, I mean, yes. A temptress of some sort. A, uh, she's clearly manipulating the fuck out of them. Um, I do not know how long I sat there in the company of hopeless love and jealousy and hate. Suddenly, out of the silence of the empty room came the steady swing and creak of the great chair. Perhaps. It must be. I sprang to my feet and noiselessly opened the door. There she sat by the window, looking out. And yes, she threw a kiss to someone below. Ah, oh, how beautiful she was. How beautiful. I made a step toward her. I held out my hands. I uttered I know not what. When all at once came Hal's quick step upon the stairs... She heard it, too, and giving me one look, one subtle, mysterious, triumphant look, she slipped past me and into my room just as Hal burst in. He saw her go. He came straight to me, and I thought he would have struck me down where I stood. Out of my way, he cried. I will speak to her. Is it not enough to see? He motioned towards the window with his wounded hand. Let me pass. She's not there, I answered. She has gone through into the other room. A light laugh sounded close by us. A faint, soft, and silver laugh, almost at my elbow. He flew me from his path, flew open the door, and entered. The room was empty. Where have you hidden her, he demanded. I coldly pointed to the other door. So her room opens into yours, does it? He muttered with a bitter smile. No wonder you preferred the view. Perhaps I can open it too. And he laid his hands upon the latch. I smiled then, for bitter experience had taught me that it was always locked, locked to my prayers and entreaties. Let him kneel there as I had. 
But it opened under his hand. I sprang to his side and we looked into a closet, two by four, as bare and shallow as an empty coffin. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh dear. Yep. He turned to me as white with rage as I was with terror. I was not thinking of him. What have you done to her, he cried, and then contemptuously that I should stop to question a liar. I paid no heed to him, but walked back into the other room where the great chair rocked by the window. He followed me, furious with disappointment, and laid his hand upon the swaying back, his strong fingers closing on it till the nails were white. Will you leave this place, said he. No, said I. I will live no longer with a liar and a traitor, said he. Then you will have to kill yourself, said I. Jesus. Jesus! With a muttering oath, he sprang upon me, but caught his foot in the long rocker and fell heavily. So wild a wave of hate rose in my heart that I could have trampled upon him where he lay, killed him like a dog. But with a mighty effort, I turned from him and left the room. When I returned, it was broad day, early and still, not sunrise yet, but full of hard, clear light on the roof and wall and roadway. I stopped on the lower floor to find the landlady and announce my immediate departure. Door after door I knocked at, tried and opened. Room after room I entered and searched thoroughly in all that house, from cellar to garret, was no furnished room but ours. No sign of human occupancy. Dust. Dust and cobwebs everywhere. Nothing else. With a strange sinking of the heart, I came back to our own door. Surely I heard the landlady's slow, even step inside and that slow, low laugh. I rushed in. The room was empty of all life. Both rooms utterly empty. Yes, for all life, for... With the love of a lifetime surging in my heart, I sprang to where Hal lie beneath the window and found him dead. Dead and most horribly dead. Three heavy marks, blows three deep, three cornered gashes. I started to my feet. Even the chair had gone. Again, the whispered laugh. Out of that house of terror, I fled desperately. From the street, I cast one shuddering glance at the fateful window. The risen sun was gilding all the housetops, and its level rays striking the high panes of the building opposite shone back in a calm glory of the great chair by the window. The sweet face, down-dropped eyes, and swaying gold head. The end. Well, fuck. <laughs> that was a riot of a story. Holy shit. Um, they did not make it out alive. Well, one of them did. One of them I, didn't. And it's only because he, like, decided to disengage and, like, get out. I wonder yeah, if they both would or have. Or did he? Oh. They're trapped there forever. <laughs> no, I mean, is it possible that um he... Like he's he's misremembering or something that he was in fact, um, for a moment possessed and did oh killed kill his friend <gasps> and then stormed out and didn't remember. 
I don't know. Did his friend just fall in the rocking chair? Yeah, or did... Or was every time one of them fell out of the rocking chair, was it actually them getting pushed by the blonde? Yeah, was it getting, like... And the landlady, it sounds like. She was very much in on it. <laughs> or they're the same person. Or they're the same person. I, I'm thinking she was, like... She's, like, the, the, the red woman in Game of Thrones. She puts on her little necklace, and all of a sudden, she's young and beautiful. It's like a... um, It's like the movie Psycho. Yeah. he's He is both himself and mother. And mother, yeah. Exactly. Um, like yeah, luring so, people to their deaths. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm I'm not I'm not definitely saying I called it from the beginning, but Sunlight Siren, who led the one guy to be dashed, yeah. upon the corners of the rocking chair. Yeah. I, I and luring I, sailors to yeah. And I from the beginning was like, uh, that thing is not a good. That's a, not a good chair. <laughs> <laughs> that thing is haunted as fuck. <laughs> demon, demon, demon. Yep. Uh, so. Uh, I also remember uh, that one time we were at your mom's house back when she lived in Minnesota yep. and that creepy ass rocking chair in her basement yep. facing the wall. Uh, I think we we're going to have to dig up the picture of that and put that in the uh, promo material. Yeah, this, it's, it's around somewhere. Because like there's a picture of me in it like a creepy old ghoul because there is something very creepy about rocking chairs. Uh, there can be. Yeah. Yeah. They're like. Well, I it's because it's rocking they, chairs. They move on their own a lot. Well, it's also because rocking chairs. Uh. First of all, you don't see a ton of them anymore because largely they've been replaced by like lazy boy gliders. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, there's something there's something antiquey about them, and it doesn't take much movement in a house to start them swaying a little bit on their yeah, own. Exactly. So they tend to give a place a feeling of like this is kind of haunted. Yeah. What rocking chairs you do see now are largely in kids' rooms, which adds to the creep yeah. factor. And like. And they tend to be handmade or like at least home crafted to look. So they tend yeah. to creak. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. So rocking, when you said the rocking chair, I was like, this is going to be about something haunted. Like yeah. I immediately, just because rocking chairs are creepy. Uh, so yeah, that was good. I like her writing style yeah. a lot. Um, it's very poetic. Um, yeah. I, I enjoyed that. What do you think, listener? Are you, in fact, frightened by rocking chairs? Or blonde women. Or blonde women. <laughs> or clowns. Or clowns. Or professional wrestling. This episode brought to you by a few of my scariest things. These are a few of my scariest things. <laughs> uh, what, it would be like... Clowns in white makeup and rocking chairs rocking... Kids laughing quietly and... And blondes that I'm stalking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blackbirds that sit on the tree and... And they sing. These, These are, are a few of the creepiest things. things. Yay. <laughs> we got there. That's good. Yeah. That was fun. Uh, I enjoyed that very much. So go ahead and send us a list of your scariest things. Yes, and we'll put it into 50, the song. 5050 artsproduction at gmail.com. Or... If you... Google uh, Campfire Classics podcast and you'll get to all of our fights, our fights, our sites. <laughs> get to all of our fights too, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, so send us that list uh, on a message and hell, if you can come up with another verse to a few of my scariest things, that's even better. That's even better. We can We can actually put it together and you know Ken will put music to it and make it famous. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, when you send us that email, please include this week's secret passcode, which is Sunlight Siren. Ooh, Sunlight Siren. That also sounds like another good movie. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. So we got uh, cl- the Sunlight oh, Sirens. Clown, what was it? Clown Rabies and Sunlight Sirens. <laughs> Clown Rabies and the Sunlight Sirens <laughs> is band. the name of my clowncore punk band. Yes! <laughs> Watch out, Philly. We're coming for you. <laughs> uh, that's all I've got. You got anything? Nah, I'm good. That was great. All right. Uh, then until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Ooh, rocking chair, rocking chair, coming for you in the night. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>